good morning. I am not Eric Huffman. So there you go. I don't know. He didn't show this morning. And so uh, I, uh, I'm preaching. That's not true. He actually did. He, uh, he's preaching over at St. Luke's. Uh, my name's Tom Pace. I am uh, one of the pastors on uh, the staff of the mothership. And uh, we're uh, so glad. Uh, I'm so glad to be here. This is, uh, the, the story is awesome. And God is doing amazing things here and through uh, you people. And it is an incredible uh, gift for us, me, uh, to be a part of it. So uh, I want to begin there. But I, but I want to say uh, this, too. Um, this is a really dangerous time in the life of the story. And it's dangerous because uh, with this incredible, you know, I, somebody told me the other day that their sister came to Christ through the store Houston, and I, you know, it's just, it just melts my heart. I'm so excited and so proud of what the story's doing. And then that pride begins to sort of, see we, see, we begin to think that maybe it's because we're doing something right. We're doing the right things, and we got it together. That's dangerous, right? That's what I want to talk to you about today, because that's what our scripture is really, uh, is really looking at. So um, I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them. We're going to, uh, I'm, I'm really excited. I know you're working your way through Romans, and uh, Eric is allowing me to preach sort of the topic sentence of Paul's letter to the Romans. I mean, it's the basic core of, of the teaching of Paul in Romans. It's chapter 3. I'm gonna, I want to begin with verse 21, and we're, um, we're just going to go through verse 25. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. Join me in prayer. Oh God, open us up. Uh, open our eyes that we might see, our ears that we might hear what you have prepared for each one of us today. Open our hearts that we might feel. Break them if need be. And then, oh God, open our hands that we might serve. Amen. So I want to begin with this uh, verse 24 as we try and understand this. They are now justified. What does that mean, justified? <clears throat> I think we have to start with sort of basics. God's greatest desire is to be in an intimate relationship with you. God's greatest desire is to be in a relationship with you. Uh, when my uh, oldest child was um, small, she went to a school in um, South Houston called St. Christopher's. And St. Christopher's was pretty structured. So they all wore their uniforms. And when we went and bought Katie's uniform, we had to buy something called a chapel tam. 
It's like a little beanie that they would wear, and they would have to wear it to chapel. And they were required when they walked through the halls at all times to have their hands folded in front of them and their thumbs crossed in what they called the prayer cross. And they would walk everywhere like this through the halls, you know. And I thought, these are Stepford children that are, uh, some of you are too young to know Stepford children, but uh, it just seems like military school for preschoolers, you know? And so uh, one day I decided I was going to go over and I was going to really check them out. And if it wasn't, you know, if it was too rigid, I was going to yank her. And uh, so I went to chapel. And Father Pat, who was the priest there, came out to do chapel, and he's wearing his his stuff. It's an Episcopal church, and it's, a, I mean, he's got vestments. I would decide, I want to be Episcopalian. I can wear stuff like that. That is, I mean, it's just really cool. And he, he sat down. He was an older fellow, gray hair, kind of long hair. And he, and he had, you know, one of those hats on and everything. And so um, he said, I, I, was, I was ready to judge him. And he said, you know, um, way, way back, he's talking to the kids, way, way back, a long, long time ago, God wanted to have a party. And he looked around, and there was no one to have a party with. So he made you. He made you to be one of his friends that could come to his party. And I thought, I like this guy. I mean, that's, that's the essence of, of the creation narrative, that out of God's desire to be in relationship, he created us. That, that was the point. And so the flip side of that, and what that, why that matters to us is because as God created us, God put within our hearts uh, the deepest desire to be with God. Right? So the flip side is that just as God's greatest desire is to be with us, our heart's greatest desire is to be in relationship with God. Right? That's, that's what, uh, what we were made for. I, I am a, a James Taylor fan. Every, you know, everybody's got their comfort music that they listen to. And uh, JT is my comfort music. And JT, uh, he sings a song called Anywhere Like Heaven. He says, when I walk along your city streets and look into your eyes and I see the simple sadness that across your features lies. The root of that simple sadness, I'm not talking about grief. I'm not talking about, you know, when, when there's difficulties. I'm talking about, I mean, those kinds of emotions are just a part of what it means to be a human being. But that simple sadness grows out of a broken relationship with God. St. Augustine said that the heart will always be restless until it finds its rest in thee, O Lord. We were made to be in an intimate relationship with Jesus. That was put in everyone's heart, that longing. So listen, this, this scripture is full of all these church, churchy Jesus words, right? Right? Righteousness, justified, redemption, atonement. All of those words, at, the, at their core, they all have different perspectives, but all of them at their core mean the same thing. They mean being in right relationship with God. To be justified means to be in right relationship with God. Atonement means at one -ment. 
to have that relationship restored. Right? These are, when you see the word righteousness, think. Right relationship with God. So to be justified means to be in that relationship. I used to have a, a youth director who worked with us, and he was one of those guys who always sort of pushed the envelope um, and got himself in trouble periodically. Um, he, he was a lot of fun, but regularly he would come in to me and we'd have to have a little come to Jesus talk, you know? <laughs> And at the end of every, pretty much at the end of every time we met, even just a regular meeting, wasn't even one of the, he would say, so, we good? <laughs> and I'd say, oh, yeah, we good, right? Right, are we good? Yeah, we good. That's, that's what justified means, that that, that that relationship is good, that we're restored, so, so here's the problem. Go back a verse to verse 22 and then verse 23. For there is no distinction since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because see, here's, the natural, here's our natural desire. We say, look, there's this broken relationship between us and God and I need to do something to fix it. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to work to fix that broken relationship. Of course I am. I feel that longing. And, and the truth is that as hard as I work, as, as much as I try, I can't seem to get it fixed. I'm going to try by just being a really good person. I'm going to really be a good person. Moral goodness we try to, to bridge that gap through uh, being really good. In fact, sometimes, sometimes I, I, I really struggle with uh, the church because I'll listen to my own preaching, and it's sort of like I'm trying to say, here's how you be good girls and boys, right? Here, I want you to look at this continuum. This is Adolf Hitler, if you don't know Adolf. <laughs> this is Mother Teresa. Now, here's my question for you. Where do you fit on this continuum? How good are you? I'm going to actually ask you to vote where you are. All right? How many? We're going to close our eyes. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. So put yourself on that continuum. I'm going to give you just about 10 seconds. And we're, I'm going to ask you to vote. In the first, so the first I'm going to say, how many of you fall on the left half? And how many of you fall on the right half? All right? Ready? So close your eyes, because and I'll tell you, I won't call out any, what anyone said. Uh, how many of you are on the Adolf Hitler half? Raise your hand. All right, we got some of those folks. And how many of you are on the Mother Teresa half? You, some of you are just chicken. <laughs> you will not vote. All right. Here, here's, by the way, most, we had a few, we have more on the Mother Teresa uh, half. A lot of Mother Teresa's out there today. Here, here's the deal. The line is way over there. All have sinned. And nobody can be good enough. As hard as you try, as hard as you try, you fail every time. Or maybe you try by just sort of say, okay, I'm just going to, 
I, I know like I know what's in my heart and I know there's all this brokenness in there, but I'm gonna I'm going to do good deeds. And I'm gonna live my life trying to really be, really do good things and make a difference in the world around me. And and you know, I'll have to tell you that this is sort of my temptation. Uh, at the end of Matthew 9 and the beginning of Nat Matthew 10, Jesus calls the disciples to him and he sends them out. He says, uh, gives them authority to do the very things he's been doing, to cure the sick and, and cleanse the leper and uh, welcome the outcast and bring good news to the poor and free the oppressed and all of those things. He gives them authority and sends them out to do the very things he's been doing. And I hear that, I'm going to say, I'm going to go do that and then God will accept me because I have made my life worth something. Right? That's, uh, that's what we tend to do. But have you ever seen Schindler's List? You know, here, Oscar Schindler gives his, he spends his fortune uh, rescuing Jews during the Holocaust. And he, what he does is he buys them. Uh, he bribes the German officers, he buys them, and then he saves them, and he takes them out of the country. 1,100 Jews he saves. And in the movie, there's this scene that just breaks my heart every time. Because he, he's, been giving, he's being given this gift, it's actually a ring, that's a gold ring that's being given to him by uh, some of the Jews that he saved. And it he just breaks down and he says, I could have saved so many more. My car, if I'd have sold my car, I could, have, I could have saved more. He said, you don't know how much money I've just wasted. It's never enough. It's never enough. Now, here's where sometimes we really fall into trouble. We think, you know, I know I'm not good enough, but maybe I can be spiritual enough. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to join the Story Houston. And, uh, you know, they've got awesome worship. I'm going to learn to raise my hands in prayer. And, um, you know, and I'm going I'm to take the book. I'm going to join a chapter. And I'm going to join a chapter, and we're going to learn what righteousness and justified and redemption and atonement mean. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sign up for Jubilee Prison Ministry, and I'm going to uh, go to the Dominican Republic, and I'm going to do all of these wonderful things, and I'm going to just be a part of this awesome community. And because I'm a part of this awesome community, I'm, uh, God's going to welcome me and say, yay, look how spiritual they are. It, it falls so far short. Right? It, it is, you know, now the... the we understand, of course, that, the, that, the, um, that Paul was saying, no, following the Jewish law doesn't get you there. But sometimes what we do is, is we decide that our religion will get us to heaven, will get us into this right relationship with God. Uh, J. Vernon McGee is a great Bible teacher. He passed away a number of years ago. He has this great illustration uh, uh, called Jumping to Catalina Island. And he said when he was small, he and his friends, they lived in, in uh, Santa Monica, would run down the Santa Monica Pier and jump out into the ocean as far as they could. 
and they would, they would decide who had jumped farther to Catalina Island. And some would look at the person next to them and say, I jumped farther than you to Catalina Island. Yeah, we can do that. You, could, you can look at the other people in your neighborhood, those who stay home from church, and say, I jumped farther than you did. But friends, Catalina Island's 25 miles away. You're never going to get there. So that's where we start. That is the root of that emptiness. So what's the answer? They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Look, this is a basic Protestant theology. In the Protestant Reformation, a man named Philip Melanchthon, uh, you can see his, I think you can see something there, yes. Uh, he wrote over and over and over again. Martin Luther, by the way, was the troublemaker of the, uh, of, of the Protestant Revol uh, Reformation. But I was going to say revolution, it kind of is, the Protestant Reformation. But this is the guy who was the brains behind it. He's the theologian. And over and over he'd say, sola fide, sola gratia. That means in Latin, uh, by faith alone, grace alone, faith alone, grace alone, faith alone, grace alone. Look, it is a gift. We only get it because the, the bridge that divides us is you cannot get there. But Christ can get to you, right? It's God's grace in Christ Jesus that reaches out to you and gives it to you as a free gift. When I was in high school, I decided I wanted to change the world by being a politician. Uh, forgive me. And uh, I really thought that if I could, you know, I wanted to be a part of just reforming the world. And so um, I went to Washington, D.C. for an internship there. And I worked with uh, a congresswoman. I worked with is kind of an overstatement, by the way. I ran her robo-typing machine. And um, her name was Gladys Spellman. She was in the 5th District of Maryland. And uh, we were, I, I was there and enjoyed my time. But what I really wanted to do was see how the Capitol worked. We were across the street in the office building. And so I would go over to the Capitol and try and see cool things happening there. And I couldn't get in anywhere. I mean, there were off, you know, guards everywhere that would keep you out of anything except the rotunda that was there. And what I really wanted to do was get to the members' dining room, which is where the action happens. That's where the magic is, and that's where the deals are made. And it never happened until the very last day when Gladys Spellman, uh, the congresswoman, said, hey, come with me. And you know what, we went to the Capitol, we walked right by the guards, and every time we'd come to a security deal, she would say, they're with me. And we'd go right in. We went to the members' dining room, they're with me. We went in, into the house chamber, they're with me. It's as simple as that. Jesus is saying, they're with me. Right? They, I, I have claimed them as mine. There they are, they're mine. It wasn't long ago um, that a man in, in our church, uh, was, he was dying. He was in hospice care. And I was visiting with him. And he uh, he'd had been through a rough time. His 
lost his family. His wife had divorced him some years before because of his behavior, because uh, of his alcoholism. He had, was estranged from his daughter. His daughter wouldn't talk to him anymore. Um, he'd lost much of his money. He drifted away from the church. And we're there, and he um, knows he's dying, and he said, Tom, what do I need to do to, to get right with God? What do I need to do to get right with God? And I took a deep breath, and I said, there's nothing you can do. The sin is too great. There's nothing you can do. But Jesus has already done it. Jesus did it for you. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That bridge is crossed by that gift of God's grace. Not by anything we do. It is so hard for us to believe that, to really accept that. To, well, so you say, well, Tom, are you saying this? I mean, what's the deal about faith? It, doesn't it say? Let's read it right, right? By his grace as a gift, effective through faith. Sola fide, sola gratia. Well, what is that faith then? What does that mean, that that. Um, that what does faith really mean? Is it, is it saying that believer's prayer? Is it, is it coming to church? What, what does that faith mean? Well, very simply, it, it means uh, receiving a gift. You know, um, uh, on the, our trustees here at St. Luke's Church, uh, periodically we'll receive notice that someone has left us money in their will, a bequest. And, you know, it sometimes it's a little, sometimes it's a lot. But here's the interesting thing. We have to vote to receive the bequest. Right? Receiving a gift is actually doing something. It, you, you have to accept it. It is, it is given you and it, 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 is, it must be accepted. So let's pretend this. Pretend that your grandmother dies and leaves you $100 million. $100 million. Right? An envelope comes, it arrives at your house, and it is a, it's a certified envelope, and it comes there. You, you, what do you have to do? It's really, you've got to open the envelope. You have to open the envelope. A gift has been given to you, but you have to, to open the envelope. Now, you could say, you know what, I don't, uh, I, I don't really believe in this. I think this is a scam. So I'm not going to open it. You could just say, ah, I, I am tired of hearing from my grandmother. All she ever does is go yada, 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 telling me I need to be a better person, blah, blah, blah. So I'm not going to open that letter. You could send it back. You could say, I'm mad at my grandmother. I'm going to send it back. You could just kind of be too busy. You've got too many other things on your mind. And so you set that aside. But at some point, you've got to open the envelope if you're to receive the gift. That's what faith is. To very simply say, yes. Yes, I accept your gift. Yes, I will receive it. And that becomes, um, well, this faith that we receive is, is transformative. 
everything changes. Look, if you don't think that if you received a gift of $100 million, your life would be different? Don't you think that what you would do is live in gratitude for that, that free gift? And don't you think that you would say, wow, this is an incredible responsibility. What am I going to do with this gift? How can I use it for, for ways that grandma would be proud of? But I didn't have to do those things to receive the gift. Those things came after. Um, Charles Cousar is one of the great uh, theologians, a teacher. He's passed away also. He was a great scholar of, of Paul's letters. I want you to read what, uh, what he says. The line is thin but terribly important, which separates faith as a necessary response to God's grace from faith as a precondition to grace. Faith is not the ultimate form of self-justification, which finally succeeds. We run the risk of making faith like circumcision, something persons perform in order to activate God's otherwise latent justification. But grace with strings is no grace at all. Faith is the response to that gift that you've been given. Now, of course, it's going to change your life. We respond to that gift in love. Uh, let me give you an example. Yesterday, my wife said, hey, uh, would you go over to Kendall's house? That's my daughter. Uh, it's her birthday. And would you install this uh, chandelier that we bought to give her for her birthday? And um, so I did. What I really wanted to do was watch Tiger Woods play golf. That's so what I wanted to do yesterday was lay on the couch and watch Tiger Woods play golf. But I went over there. And I did it because I love my wife and she asked me to. And I did it because I love my daughter. But you know what? I could have said I had no obligation to do that. It wasn't required. No. I did it as a responsive love. In fact, I could have said to my wife, you know, I really want to stay home and watch Tiger Woods. And she'd have gone, all right, that's all right. We'll call TaskRabbit and they'll go put it up. But in response, out of my love, I, I did that. Look, that's what faith is. Faith is, is receiving the gift and then in response to that gift, living a different way. Living out of love. Living out of gratitude for the gift God has given us. Living out of this incredible relationship we have right now in Jesus Christ. Once upon a time, there was a kingdom. And in the kingdom, there was a castle. And in the castle, there lived a king. And uh, all around the walls of the kingdom were these, were these lists of rules. And they said, if you'd like to have an audience, a dinner with the king then you have to follow these rules. And the, the first ones were relatively easy. Don't kill, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal. But as you got farther down, they got harder. Some of them just seemed picky picky, like eat this, don't eat that. But some of them were like, you've heard it said don't kill. I tell you, we have a higher righteousness. I tell you, don't even commit, uh, don't, don't even be angry with your brother. And you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I tell you, don't even look lustfully with your heart. 
Because then you've already, with your eye, then you've already committed adultery with your heart. And so everybody said, can't do it. Sorry, it's too much. But out in front of the, of the castle, there was a booth. And across the top of the booth, it said, free dinner with the king cards. And people would come up and say, you can't give away free dinner with the king cards. You just can't do that. And he'd say, well, I'm the prince. And the king sent me out here to do that. And second of all, they're really not free. And he showed them the holes in his hands and his feet. And most of the people said, I don't, I don't buy it. And they just walked away. And they just continued to try. But some people took the card, and the prince took them by the hand, and walked them across the drawbridge, and down the long hallway, and sat down with them, and they had dinner with the king. And, and the king told them all about his heart. And they told them all about their hearts. And this incredible relationship was established. And when the dinner was over, the king said, come back anytime. That's the servant's entrance. You're welcome anytime. Now, here's the deal. Once they left... Their lives were never the same again. Never the same. They tried all the harder now to live by the, by the things that were posted. Not because they had to in order to be accepted by the king, but because they had been accepted by the king and they understood what the king was, was trying to tell them. And, and you know what was even more amazing? What was more amazing is by, by some way they didn't quite understand that anger that they thought would never go away began to be replaced by love. And the lust that they thought would run their lives began to be replaced by respect. Everything was changed. Friends, what I want for all of you, what we want for all of them out there in the world, is to have dinner with the king. And to experience the gift of God's grace. To be right with God, not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us. To be clothed in his righteousness. We're going to join in Holy Communion. You know, um, in the time of Jesus, you didn't eat with people you didn't love. Right? So... Um, it, the, the, closest cor the closest corollary I can use for today is this um, getting in a bed with someone. In our culture, you would never get in a bed with someone that you didn't have a relationship with. It might be a brother or a sister or a spouse, right? But, but, it, but it, it's an intimate experience. You, in Jesus' day, you wouldn't eat with someone that you didn't have an intimate. That's why, that's why they criticized Jesus so much for eating with tax collectors and sinners. That's why that was such a big deal. So when Jesus invites you to his table, when he says, come, he's saying, I want to be in relationship, an intimate relationship with you. I have longed for that. I've set a place for you at the table. And I want you to come. So let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we confess 
that this broken relationship, that this gap between us, we can't seem to get across. And we confess that we try ourselves to try and make it happen. We fall short. Forgive us, God. We know that your son, Jesus Christ, has already re reached across that chasm. And we, we receive that gift in faith. And we ask that you would give us that assurance of, of your amazing love for us. And then help us to carry that message to the world. To, to, sh to share with them this incredible gospel of good news of your love available to them. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.